Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. Uh, We're starting a brand new series called Countercultural, so I'll set this up. Um, as we go, uh, parts of this series uh, are going to bother some of you, are going to make some of you uncomfortable, but what's new? Um, hopefully it's going to be helpful and it's going to give us a way forward um, as followers of Jesus. But I'm super excited about today and where we're going because I don't want to just talk about stuff. I want to actually do stuff. And so this generosity campaign is our ability to do stuff that has a dramatic impact in our city and our community. So we'll talk about that later. Um, So as I set it up, here's the thing that's been interesting for me over the last um, year, year and a half, with everything that's happened in our world culturally, and I I think it's part of my job to connect culture with theology um, and, again, give us handles on how we should move forward as followers of Jesus, or if you're not a Jesus follower, and I'm so glad you're here or watching, um, you can just keep us accountable or call us hypocrites for not doing it, but um, either way, it'll be helpful. But over the last year, year and a half, with everything that's happened in culture, um, everything that's happened globally, nationally, pandemics, unrest, um, division, polarization, all of that, um, I've gotten two like major questions over and over again. Um, doing what I do. And most of the questions have been outside of our church. So we have a platform that's kind of exponentially bigger than our church through radio and things like that. So there's lots of people and lots of feedback and lots of emails that um, you wish you could just send back. Um, lots of correspondence. And, and But there's two like, you know, common questions over and over again. And the first one is this, like, do you think that this is the end times? Like, do you think, and this, you know, they unpack this eschatology for me about like where, where we think this is heading and just everything that's happening in our world and is an apocalypse near and, and possible signs of the mark of the beast and all of those things. And so that, like, that's one big question. And then the second question that I've gotten over and over again is, do you think that like God is judging us and judging our world and judging our nation Like, do you think this is like God pouring out his wrath, pouring out his judgment? And do you think that we just need to pray and repent? And then generally they'll quote an Old Testament verse out of context that they're reading off a coffee mug that they have and and talk about like, is God's judgment coming? Um, and, And here's the thing, like praying and repenting, like that's never a bad idea. Um, In fact, the Christian ethic for centuries has been like that actually should be the posture of our life if we're followers of Jesus, that that the Holy Spirit reveals things and then like we surrender to go, I need to change that. And so repentance is just a changing, is a a change of mind, is a change of direction. It's turning and moving toward Jesus. So like that's never a bad thing unless it becomes a deflection for the main thing. And I'll talk to, and isn't it funny, like we always want to pray for other people to repent, it's generally never us, but there's always another group that if they would repent, everything would change for the better. So uh, here's like really what I want to talk about for a few minutes. I understand the questions and the fascination and the intrigue, um, specifically like depending on like how you grew up and what worldview you were left with or left behind with. Nobody got that joke. Um, they're interesting questions, but here's what I would 
tell you is I don't think they're the most important questions, and I don't think they're really helpful questions. And in fact, one of the things I want to look at, and I'll do this in various ways in the next four weeks, is they're not the questions that first century followers of Jesus asked when they went through, uh, maybe surprisingly to you, very similar circumstances, very similar circumstances. Dynamic, Like, I, I get all the fascination and the intrigue and the questions, but generally those questions, and I say this with as much grace as I can muster, a lot of times reveals a lack of understanding or knowledge, number one, of end times eschatology. I, like, and I get all of that's weird, and if you're not a Jesus follower, don't start in Revelation. But, like, I, I get all of that, but sometimes people will email me things like, where did you get this? Like, it, there's, there is... This theology is just off the rails. And then a lot of times it also reveals a misunderstanding and lack of knowledge about history. And sometimes a lack of knowledge about the fact that people in other parts of the world have suffered for generations. Long before there was ever unrest or we experienced a pandemic or any of the other things. What's fascinating to me is about Americans is the first time that some of us ever have to suffer, our initial go-to is it must be apocalyptic and the end of the world. <laughs> Even though for generations people have experienced that in other parts of the world. Like maybe the better question is this, why do Americans have such a low pain threshold? And listen, I'm talking to me too, so like, no, I'm not, I'm not throwing shade at you, but like, the reality is like, we're so blessed, so resourced, so protected. Um, some of you like get this if you've traveled to other areas of the country, um, other uh, either hostile or areas of the country that are like, they're just difficult regions, and you will understand the really high expectations that Americans have around how they should be treated. And at some level, again, I'm talking to me, so chill, like at some level, like we want to do what we want, when we want, with kind of like the underlying clause of as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. And I don't have to go any further than to just point to the nonsense over the last year and a half, two years of people pulling guns and getting into fist fights over masks on planes and in Walmart, like calm down. Like it, it reveals a little bit of our, it's all about me culture and honestly our low tolerance for any kind of discomfort. Like like just real quick, a a culture where individual rights takes precedent over personal responsibility, honestly, maybe apocalypse is near. Because personal responsibility, when it takes a backseat to personal freedom, things go off the rails really, really quickly. In fact, I don't have time to go into this because it's a whole other sermon series, but that's really, that's really um, a postmodern, um, secular way of thinking of people who don't even believe in God. It, they, they factor out the God thing to think the problem with the world is religion, the problem is God, because if there is a God who has determined meaning, then it means that there is some kind of standard that we have to live by, and if we can just eliminate that, that will be the, actually the ultimate and pinnacle of personal freedom, where there is nobody to tell me what to do, and there's all kinds of problems with that. But the problem is, as Christians, we've adopted a similar philosophy. We just work God into the equation, but we still have the illusion or the seduction that the pinnacle of my pleasure and my fulfillment and ultimately getting what I want is my personal freedom. And the only problem with that is the Bible, all of it. 
Because Jesus made it really, really clear. If you want to find your life, the means to do that, it's counterintuitive, but you have to give it away. Like, here's the question, or the statement. It cannot be all about me and all about you all at the same time. Like, somebody has to surrender and somebody has to give up personal freedom. And I get it. Like, as Americans, like, that's completely un-American. Like, I don't want to do that. I don't like to give up anything. I don't want to give up any kind of personal freedom. And yet, we do it all the time, like, hopefully. Like, when you're in a four-way stop, that's kind of what you do, some of you. Others of you roll through it and really make me mad. Like, others of you, like... You're standing in a line. This is another one that, because I'm an idiot when, it, when I have to stand in a line. But like you, hopefully you do it. You teach your kids this. Like there's times when you should say no for the sake of the relationship, say no to you. Like it's something that we do all the time. But here's the reality. When you and I refuse to take responsibility for ourselves, we force someone else to take responsibility for our irresponsibility. Now I'll leave that up because you should teach that to your kids. It's good. Um, and here's the thing, like, I get it. Like, our varying theologies and backgrounds and worldviews, they feed fascination around all kinds of things and all kinds of questions. And the reality is a lot of those questions and maybe most of those questions at the end of the day are not that important and they're not that helpful. This is really the question that followers of Jesus should ask if they're serious about following Jesus. And, and specifically, I wanna to talk to the church, capital T, capital C, but application for us as center point because I've been called as your pastor, those of you who watch, listen um, all over the place. But the question is really this, what, what questions should we ask? Like, what should we be obsessed with? Where should we focus all of our energy in a culture where sometimes it's hard to know what the way forward is? Now, here's the thing, like the New Testament followers of Jesus in the New Testament church give us incredible insight on this in the first century when they were faced with, and it's hard for me to really paint the picture for you, they were faced with unsolvable problems. They had no idea how to move forward. And as I'm going to look at in a minute, they were faced with a natural disaster in in a sense that God apparently decided that he was not going to take away. And they had to decide as as part of this fledgling movement that had barely gotten off the ground what they were going to do. Now, let me give you a little context real quick and a little backstory before I dive into it. Um, all of you, or many of you know the story of Jesus who was railroaded into a, basically a mock trial and because he gave into public pressure, Pontius Pilate basically had Jesus crucified. And the moment that Jesus was crucified, it became open season on followers of Jesus. Like anybody who was part of, it was called the way at the time. If you were associated with that, it means that ultimately you could have the same fate as Jesus. And so what happened is the religious leaders began to go after other individuals who identified with what they would kind of call this Nazarene sect to round them up to try to stamp out this movement because it was really messing up the delicate balance of power between the Jewish people and the Roman authorities. Now, what you will find fascinating is they never brought another person to Pontius Pilate. After Jesus... The religious leaders just decided we're going to do this on our own. We're going to skip the middleman. I think we can get a lot more done a lot more efficiently. And so the first guy that they went after was a guy by the name of Stephen. And Stephen was a guy who was selected by the apostles. Like, you know, that that immediate, immediate group that was super tight with Jesus. They selected Stephen. And Stephen actually took on the role when the church was just getting started to oversee the distribution of food um, to widows and the care of widows. Like, that was Stephen's job. But the other thing about Stephen is Stephen was an incredible communicator 
and a marvelous, like brilliant litigator of the faith. So this guy had a ton of influence. And so because of that influence, he became a threat. And so the religious leaders went after Stephen for that reason. They arrested Stephen and then they had a trial and they made a massive mistake of allowing Stephen to get up at his trial and speak on his behalf. That was a massive mistake because the dude could talk. And he was very persuasive. And so when he got done, they're like, we gotta do something about this guy because he's not helping our cause. And so they drag Stephen outside of the city gates and he becomes the first martyr for the Jesus movement and they stone him to death. And you don't know anything about stoning, but it was a horrible way to die as you can imagine. And generally it took a very, very long time to breathe your last breath And most of the time you would bleed out and then no joke, they would leave you and the carcasses would feast or the the animals would feast on your carcass out in the middle or the, the side of a road. After Stephen was martyred, the religious leaders realized nobody's gonna do anything about this. So we can just keep doing what we're doing. We can stamp out this movement. And so they began to go and round up other followers of the way, not even known as Christians at the time, in order to stop this whole thing. And so in Acts 8.1, Luke, who investigated interviews, eyewitnesses, talked about what happened during this time. This is immediately after the resurrection. And Acts is basically the 30-year history of the church after Jesus' death, resurrection, and then ascension. Here's what Luke's, Luke writes. You guys still with me? On that day, like the day that Stephen died and all of this went down, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea, that's so important, in Samaria. And those who had been scattered, like here's what they did. Now, just, just get the context. They, they couldn't meet safely, they couldn't meet legally. Many of them were on the run for good reason, And they didn't sit around going, I wonder what the implications of this. I wonder where this is leading. I wonder what slippery slope we're on. I wonder if God's coming back any moment. We need to stand up, grab a sword, and protect our rights. Instead, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Would you do that? Is that what would be at the forefront of your mind? Is that what we would be obsessed with? And here's the thing you see to know this. This is where history is so important. In the midst of a persecution, in the midst of like Nero at one point is ruling Rome, in the midst of unbelievable chaos and uncertainty, the next verse does not say, and inevitably the Jesus movement in the church died. (laughs) This was a catalyst for the explosion of the Jesus movement. And then there's a guy, and you know him by the name of Saul, potentially, and he's going around, he's a three Enneagram, potentially eight, get it done, type A guy, put him in charge, it's gonna happen for you. And Saul almost single-handedly stamps out the Jesus movement. Guy was really good at what he did, highly educated, a part of the Pharisee group of religious leaders, and so, Saul comes along and he basically is so good at what he does, he rounds up all of the followers of the way in Jerusalem to the point he really doesn't have anybody else to go after. And so he goes to the religious leaders like, hey, can you give me papers to go on down to Damascus and I'll find some more of them down there. And so they give him the ability to do that. Now this is a two week journey. 
And so Saul, who later would become Paul because his name would change because he went by his Roman affiliation to reach the Gentiles, Saul, who later would be Paul, went down to Damascus in order to round up more followers of the way, bring them back to Jerusalem, try them in some cases, arrest them, and in other cases to to kill them. And on the way to um, Damascus, Saul, who'd become Paul, has this dramatic experience where this guy who's single-handedly stopping the Jesus movement becomes a follower of Jesus and believe that Jesus is who he said he is and that Jesus rose from the grave and everything changed in that moment. Come on, just consider this for a second. The guy, Paul, who is on the winning side chooses to join the losing side with no rights, with no leverage, with no influence and no money. And they lost their way all the way to victory. And they shaped Western civilization. And they upended the Roman Empire. And 2,000 plus years later, because Paul decided, oh, by the way, to write some letters while he was in prison, his letters have shaped Christian theology 2,000 plus years later. What was the context? Persecution, chaos, we have no idea what's next. We have no rights, we have no leverage, no authority. People are knocking on our door to kill us. What should we do? We'll just spread the word because Jesus has done something in our midst. And if we do that, it has the power to change the world, even if it doesn't end well for me. And so just to get the scene, Christians who have no freedom and no standing and are persecuted in ways that we can't imagine, though other people around the world right now in this moment can imagine. And I think what's so helpful for us is to ask the question of what questions were they asking? And what were they concerned about? And what were they obsessed with? And here's what Luke writes in Luke eleven nineteen. skip down. Those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, non-Jewish people, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And we've talked a ton about this. The good news was not simply a Christian theology and they had no Bible at this point. The good news was Jesus has come. All of us lost faith when he was crucified because he was the message in the movement and then he walked out of a grave alive. You should begin to follow Jesus. Everything has changed. And the good news is, unlike all of the other religions, religions of our culture, Jesus has done something on your behalf. It's why it's not good advice or seven more rules or another 20 commandments. It is good news. And they began to spread this message everywhere in verse 21. The Lord's hand was with them. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. In the midst of extraordinary uncertainty, Incredible persecution. Chaos beyond what you can probably imagine. In fact, so many people began to follow the way and follow Jesus that they didn't know what to do with these people. They didn't know, like, how do we, how do we disciple them? How do we lead them and show them how to follow Jesus? Like, we need help. So a guy by the name of Barnabas comes from um, where he was at 
um, and goes down there to help them. Like these non-Jewish were embracing Jesus in Antioch. So Barnabas comes from Jerusalem to Antioch. He gets there. So many people continue to follow Jesus. They have to send for more help and come, come down there in order to help these people and disciple these people. And so verse 25, Acts 11, it says, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to, to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. All because of extraordinary disruption. All because of incredible persecution. And listen, it's, it's hard to picture this, but this is 300 miles south of Jerusalem. And what's helpful to know for first century followers of Jesus, because it is so easy to be a prisoner to our moment. It's helpful to know the first century followers of Jesus weren't trying to figure things out about the future. They weren't trying to play this out through some eschatological, like how is this gonna end for us? Is it an apocalypse near? Is this the end times? We're not trying to defend or protect. Instead, they just got to work. They adjusted to their new normal and they went to work to love their city. And it was at this hinge point that they finally got the name of Christians that was honestly derogatory from outsiders, but it just meant little Christ's. And in Acts 26, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch amidst all of this that was happening. And then here's the twist in the historical narrative that I think really leads us to our opportunity in our moment, in our generation, in our context, our communities, in our cities. Verse 27, he says this. Some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. In verse 28, one of them named Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. Now, I know you obviously know what a famine is, but it's hard for us to like, get it. But in some cases, this would mean an entire village would starve. This would mean entire families would starve. There, there's recordings of famines where really an entire generation would starve to death. And first century followers knew about this, so... Luke actually references it and says in verse 28, this happened during the reign of Claudius. Like you guys know about this, you remember this, Claudius who preceded the Roman emperor. And again, this is what is so fascinating to me, so powerful to me, grabs me when I study the posture of first century followers of the way. They didn't respond with questions of what does this mean? What does this point to? How do we figure this out? What's God's sovereign plan in all of this? They didn't ask questions like, is this a warning or an omen? Is God judging the Roman Empire for her cruelty and immorality? Is this a sign that the end is near? Because if it is, we better take up arms and defend and protect, which is always a hilarious posture to me. Listen, if the end times is coming, you aren't doing anything about it, bro. They didn't ask any of these questions because they were followers of Jesus. They served a resurrected savior. These guys were willing to give up their lives and sacrifice their freedoms because they had no fear of death. 
And Jesus had already laid out the blueprint. Hey, you don't need to figure out the future. You have no idea what the future holds. You have no idea what I'm doing in this moment. You have no idea what my sovereign plan is, but here's what you do know. I want you to love other people the way that I have loved you. And you can be confident in any persecution, any situation, any uncertainty, in any chaos, because ultimately you know you serve King Jesus and I will rule and I will reign forever. So you don't need to worry about any of the rest of it. You don't even need to worry about you. I want you to go and love the way that I have loved you, which means you walk into any situation and you ask different questions than anybody else in culture. Because you know me. I love what N.T. Wright said when in his summary said, these are the questions that those first century followers of Jesus ask when walking through what they walk through. Who will be at risk? How can we help? Who should we send? Who will be at risk? How can we help? Who should we send? I'll deal with this later in the series, but like, we've moved into like a culture with zero nuance, so nobody has to think. They just throw out two bins and go, you're either in this bin or this bin. And the only problem with that is life doesn't work that way. And a lot of times the question that culture asks is, What side am I on and how can we win? Jesus' followers ask the question of who's hurt and how can we help them? And here's the thing, man. Everybody that was walking through this knew that this this empire-wide famine, it was gonna affect them. Nobody was unaffected or unimpacted by this. They knew it was gonna affect their family. And this is what is extraordinary to me. They're worrying about people in Jerusalem, 300 miles away that they don't even know. They've never had a conversation with this. They're not gonna Zoom at any point. And yet their heart is moved for, and then their, their hearts move for people down in Judea because they know that Judea is probably gonna be the hardest hit area because they were considered, if you're a follower of Jesus in Judea, they were considered outlaws. They had no jobs in most cases. They were poor, they were incredibly vulnerable, and their Antioch is, I mean, really a world away. And they see this moment, even though they're walking through a lot of the same stuff, they see this moment as an opportunity. And they didn't ask, hey, what does all this mean? They just got busy with what God had called them to do. Here's how Luke writes it in verse 29. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. As they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. And so basically these people with not a lot, also affected by what was going on, would collect this money, they would send it with Barnabas and Saul to go help these people that honestly were a world apart culturally, that they were never gonna meet, that they didn't even know. And again, it's hard for me because we miss and it's impossible for us to appreciate. But as I said, Jerusalem's 300 miles away. Like the equivalent of this is I could hop on a plane in Florida and it's basically like me traveling to New Zealand or South Africa and then coming back in the amount of time it would take them to get to Jerusalem. And these were Gentiles, like an anti, these are Gentiles. They didn't even really like Jews half the time. 
They were weird. They had strange customs. There was still a lot of cultural animosity. Like you never got invited over for for dinner. And so they had every reason in the world to excuse themselves. It's an empire-wide famine. We can't help you. And yet they went out of their way to move in the direction of people that they had never even met. And then there's one other thing. This is what's fascinating to me. There's something else at play. See, here's what we, it's hard for us to grasp. It is commonplace now. Like even if you don't subscribe to the Jesus thing and if you're watching, listening, investigating, I'm so glad you are. But even if you're not a follower of Jesus, don't take the God thing serious. Like it's commonplace now, but generosity towards someone who could not repay you was not considered as virtuous in the first century. It was considered weak. Like, why would you give up anything of yourself? Why would you give up yourself for the sake of somebody who could not do anything in return? Nobody did that. Who in the world would do that? That ethic in the ancient world, there was no category for that until Jesus showed up. There was no category for that until Jesus in his resurrection and then Jesus' followers realized it's true. God has changed everything. Jesus predicted his own death and resurrection and then he pulled it off and they realized we've, we've had a sin debt that has been forgiven and God has taken the punishment and the wrath for all our sins for all time, past, present, and future. And we owe him everything. We will give up our lives. We will surrender our futures for the sake of loving other people the way that God had loved us. And they began to move into communities and villages when other people were running and hiding and when division and animosity was so high because they were followers of Jesus and Jesus had changed everything for them. And so they knew they were accountable to what was called the law of Christ, which just meant all of the law and the prophets have now been summarized in, in a single command, two parts. I want you to love me by loving other people around you. And so in Antioch, they considered it a privilege to be in this moment and have this opportunity. And listen, this is so crazy to me. Never in recorded history, up until this point, never in recorded history, had a multicultural group and community, had a familial bond with another group of people they had never met and that culturally they were a world apart, that they were willing to move in the direction of and to love and to care for even though they would receive nothing in return. And the question was, where did that politically and culturally incorrect behavior come from? And it came from the fact that Jesus said and John wrote that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And it came from the fact that Jesus in the upper room the night before he was gonna be betrayed said this, I want you to love other people the way that I've loved you. And then he put a punctuation point on it to say, and by this, the world is gonna know that you are my disciples and my followers, follow me. Those are our people. That's our tribe. That's what we're coming from. That's whose shoulders we stand on. And I'm telling you, they introduced a brand new kind of generosity that eventually would be called caritas, which just meant a giving to relieve the physical and financial distress of others without expecting anything in return. And eventually, if you know history, it would brand the Jesus movement. It would brand Christianity. 
So taking a page from our first century brothers and sisters, our primary responsibility is not to figure out anything that's happening in our world in terms of how it fits into God's sovereign plan. Our goal isn't to try to figure out what are the signs, what does it mean, where is it headed? You have no idea. It's not to come up with some crazy eschatological theology that usually holds no water to try to figure things out. Like we haven't been called to do any of those things because that doesn't help anybody. In fact, if you care and you should care as followers of Jesus, some of you, it's gonna take you years to repair any credibility with non-Jesus follower because you have looked ridiculous by the things that you've talked about. In fact, if you were to take Paul seriously, and listen, by the way, at best, all that leaves is Jesus followers debating among themselves around things they cannot control or have no idea about anyway. Like if you take Paul seriously, everything that's happening in our culture, maybe what you've walked through personally, because for you, it's been a marriage thing, it's been a relationship thing, it's been a thing with your kid, it's, it's been something really personal, or it's, it's globally nationally, what you've walked through, what you felt, the anxiety that you struggled through. If if Paul was right, all we're experiencing is a global expression of the fact that the world is broken. And it is in need of redemption and restoration. And it's found in Jesus. This is nothing new. And so the question is, for followers of Jesus, what should we do? That's the question you should be asking. That's the question we should be asking. That's the question you should be obsessed with. So what we're gonna do, and I'm gonna talk about a lot of this for the next three weeks and uh, some other really practical things about how culture and, and our response as followers of Jesus, how, sh- how it should play in that I'm super excited about. And again, I'm gonna bother you. I'm gonna press you. Also, hopefully I'm gonna inspire you. But I don't wanna just talk about stuff. I wanna do stuff. And so one of the applications of this series is every year, Justin already talked about, we launch an annual generosity campaign where we give, we serve, and we love. Because one of the things that you can do that maybe will have the greatest impact is not to sit around asking questions that you don't know the answer to. It's to go, how can we get to work in our city and our community? How can we actually make a difference? The first century followers of Jesus were branded by the fact that they unleashed a wave of generosity on villages to where people would look at them to go, you guys are weird. We don't understand your theology, but there is something different about the way that you love other people and the way that you are generous to other people. Because come on, the most powerful expression of the love of Jesus, I think, is expressed through unbridled, no strings attached, generosity. It tears down walls like nothing can. So over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna give as a gathering, we're gonna serve, we're gonna love. This is our chance every year to practice and our hope is it becomes a catalyst for your lifestyle and for our church. And so I wanna point you to a website and then I'm gonna show you a video in just a second. But centerpointfl.org, cc, generosity, and then many of you either have a card or got a card that looks something like this. If you got it, lift it up for me. You got one of these? You don't have one of those. So you're gonna get one, just trust me. Um, 
and it's gonna have all the information on it and it's gonna have this little thing um, that you can scan. It'll give you all the information about what we're doing over the next couple weeks. So here's what I wanna do because for so many of you online, in the house, this is brand new to you. But this is something our church has done for the last couple of years and you have served countless hours. You have legitimately given away hundreds of thousands of dollars into our community and it has made a massive difference. This is what we can do. I want you to check out this video from last year. I'm gonna give you a couple other details and then we're gonna be done. Hey, what's up? We are at Portamento of Hope Cafe. We're here at Hope for Her. We are right outside Lighthouse Ministries. We're here today at Family Promise. We are right outside Echo Ministries. We're here at Choices. I am with Manny from Amazing Love Ministries. We're here to deliver Tampa Port Ministries their check from our 2020 generosity campaign. So it's $2,000. Wow. Yay! Oh my gosh. Oh! <laughs> $5,000. <000. laughs> Oh, awesome. Oh, my goodness. Woo! Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Wow, that is very generous. Whoa, okay. <laughs> yeah, we wasn't, I was hoping to maybe buy some socks, but it's going to buy a lot more than socks, that's for sure. Oh, my God. So one of the ways we support the spiritual needs of the seafarers is by providing uh, Christian literature and Bibles, not only in English, but in their native languages. Very so this will go a long way to supporting that. Awesome. I've got a big true freezer and refrigerator that I want to get repaired because it holds a lot of food for our people that come yeah. and pick up food. We're going to get those fixed. That's one thing. Awesome. And then it'll help us keep on feeding the homeless. Yeah. We've actually been able to accept and donate over 219,000 pounds of food. Amazing. And it's a busy, busy time around here all yeah. the time. <laughs> this is really going to help specifically to families. There's, there's sometimes families get into situations where they don't, they, they need a bridge to get out of homelessness or not be in homelessness. And this, this uh, funding is going to go directly to those kind of needs. One of our, one of our dreams moving into the new building have, has been to start an employment program where we actually help train moms uh, yeah. um, to re-enter the workforce again. And we actually just had our board meeting last night and we were talking about what it's gonna, what, how much money it's gonna take to start something like that so this could be seed money. We are actually working towards having uh, our opportunity center at our Riverview facility. Mm -hmm. So this is gonna come in handy just to be able to offer that in that area. Mm -hmm. Gifts like this allow us to continue to provide new baby items like you see here in our boutique. Um, the Lord really uses these items for tools for us to build relationships and get to share the good news of Jesus with our clients. One of the things that we struggle with, the, the community struggles with the most and us functioning in is uh, helping them with housing mm -hmm. off the streets. So uh, with this sort of uh, contribution, what we will be able to do is move forward in that. We're working on getting a women's housing program up anyways. So this will just be a big part of that um, and helping the ladies off the streets and helping them. Absolutely awesome! <laughs> ah.
So thank you guys for being there for us. We cannot do this without so we thank you so much. Thank you, Center Point Church. This is very generous. Thank you for being strong ministry partners with us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, thank you, Center Point Church. My goodness. So very excited, guys. Thank you so much. May the Lord bless everyone. God bless you. Thank you, thank you so much. Thank you. God bless you. Y'all can come back anytime. <laughs> yeah, give it up for what you guys have done. So we're going to do that again a little bit earlier. There's going to be a QR code on the screen in just a second. You can just uh, use that QR code with your uh, phone. But basically, our goal this year uh, is to raise $50,000. And then what you need to know is we give every dollar of that away to our partner organizations. These are organizations that we vetted. We have liaisons from our church serve with all year along, volunteers that go there. We know them inside and out. These are the rock stars in our community getting it done around things like food insecurity and housing and medical care and education and women's crisis and on and on it goes. So we really make it easy because a lot of you have the desire of, I wanna do something, I don't know how, and I don't know where to go. We do all the heavy lifting for you. And so um, our goal though is not so much the amount, our goal is participation. That 100%, if you're online, this is, this is for you as well, you can play 100% participation because I know what happens when you begin to take a step in this direction. It changes your perspective. It does something in your heart. There is something powerful about no strings attached generosity. And so we went to our partners and said, what would make a big difference for you? And they gave us uh, a list, a bunch of answers that are on the screen from creating boxes for teachers at one of our um, partners at Valrico Elementary, helping with a five unit apartment for clients transitioning out of Lighthouse. They do job education, training to help people back on their feet. We're going to purchase water filtration kits through Compassion International. That will provide a lifetime of water for those who will receive those. Uh, we're gonna fund Choices Mobile Ministry Unit to meet women and families in crisis where they are, which is a massive need for them. Um, we're gonna fund utilities and insurance for the van to transport meals through Portamento of Hope. I love this ministry. The, the fact that they are helping immigrants in our area because pro-life for followers of Jesus is the wound all the way to the tomb. And so this is a massive ministry we get to be a part of. And a lot of people are like, oh, we don't wanna cover operation costs. I do because that's gonna help them function and make an impact in their community. And in some cases, they would not be able to do what they're doing without us. In fact, there's several partners where we give 10% of their operating budget for the year. Now, if you've ever led anything, that's massive. And so this makes a huge impact for them. So here's what you can do. Um, we have also um, opportunities for CC Kids, Velocity, because we want this to be a whole family thing. Go to that website, scan the QR code, and then we will take two offerings in service coming up on October 3rd, October 10th, which we don't do any other time of year, but it's easy this time of year because heck, we're giving all of it away. So I know some of you are like, I don't like churches, I've had bad experience, I hate when anybody asks for money, I get it. If I had experienced what you'd experience, I would feel the same way. In fact, sometimes I do feel the same way. But we are giving 100% of it away. No shipping, no handling, all of it goes away. All that goes to our partner organizations in the city. And I'm just telling you that no strings attached generosity has a powerful impact. Then we're gonna serve on October 9th. We have a big pep rally here and we have um, items either on site or at our partners where you can serve either as a single, as a family, you can get your kids involved, go register right now for all of those projects. And here's what I wanna encourage you to do on October 9th for that serve day. Invite somebody to come with you. 
Invite somebody to come with you that maybe right now would not come to church with you because here's what's happened culturally for the Capital C Church over the last several years, several decades. They know all of the things that we're against, but they lose sight of what we're for. That's an incredible opportunity to go. I, may you, I'm, I know you may not even like the church, but this isn't about the church. This is about what we're doing for the community. I'm gonna invest and invite, I'm gonna bring you with me because I want you to get a different perspective of what the Jesus movement should be all about. So October the 9th, show up for that. And then the last thing we're gonna encourage you to do throughout the series is to love, to complete acts of kindness in your neighborhood um, that are tangible. And here's what I would say is that person, that family that comes to mind, that group, you're like, ugh, that's who you should start with. The people that you're most unlike, that's who you should start with. So let's give, let's serve, let's love. And here's the reason that we do this. This is the bottom line. Because everybody matters to God, whether God matters to them or not. And we, as followers of Jesus, have been called from the very beginning, Caritas, to do good for those who can't and won't do anything good for us. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna unpack this, but I want you to go today, if you're like, I'm already in, begin to give, begin to register for October 9th. Let's do this together as a church. Let's get involved in this. And then I wanna encourage you throughout this series to invest and invite for the reason that I just said. There are so many people who know everything that we're against They need to know what we are for. And over this series, this is a strategic opportunity to go. This is the way forward for followers of Jesus. And so if you've had a bad experience, if you don't know what Jesus is really offering, you need to come, you need to sit with me. And I'm telling you, it will open up doors for you to continue to invest in those relationships around you, whether they're family, friends, or neighbors. So let's do this together as a church and let's watch God move in an incredible, incredible way. This is what followers of Jesus have been called to. This is what our brothers and sisters in the first century did. This is what we're gonna do. Would you stand with me and pray with me? Jesus, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for what you're doing in this moment. And I just pray that over these few weeks that you would clarify for us, you would convict us, you would lead us. And God, that we would be serious about following Jesus. And Lord, I pray that through this series that you would move in the hearts of people that Lord, we would, Lord, maybe set down some questions and obsessions and sidetracking conversations and we would get back focused on what we have been called to do as followers of Jesus. And that you would, even through these weeks, do something extraordinary through this movement. And so we pray this in your incredible name, the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.